0: Hello, hello. Hi, guys. So desolate on this side of the church. (laughs) So sad. You're okay. You're okay, I think. All right. So over the next couple weeks or so, um, we're going to just be taking a step back. Um, so that we can review and wrap up everything that we sort of learned and understood this year, um, as per usual, right? We spend the first couple weeks in December um, overviewing what we learned um, on the themes of what we've been talking about, which is not up there right now. Um, And then, you know, in the third week, we'll come up here as an eldership. The fourth week, we'll have our service, and then the fifth week, a preview to the next year. So, yeah. Yeah. I got that right. Three, four, three, four, five. There's five weeks in December. Um, so, as you guys, you know, hopefully know by now, this year we've been talking about what. You don't know. What are the What are the two main buzzwords? Beauty is the overarching buzzword. Yes. Faithful and Grounded was last year. Uh, we got there, and that's why we're a body. <laughs> and that's why we're a body right there. That's, that's, a, that's a indicative of the whole sermon to gum right there. Um, that's why we operate as a body. Accountable and invested and in how it is beautiful when we have these two things in our lives. Um, yeah, and, and the, that's sort of been the theme of the last four years, right? Beauty the overarching beauty and, and that's what it will con- well what it will continue with next year um, as we enter our, our fifth and final year of you know our sermon arc plan that we have for you guys as an eldership um, but accountable and, and invested in how those things are beautiful what God sets aside what he you know sets up and creates and deems as beautiful um, yeah and as it pertains to the body um, so I heard a couple of them just now as we were trying to get there, but if you guys remember our, um, what is it, an acronym? Would you call it an acronym, James? Our sentence, when my endeavors? What do you call that? It's a thing. When my endeavors draft futility, do you guys remember this? Is it striking a chord? When my endeavors draft futility, God's answer inspires lasting beauty. So the A and the I, accountable and invested. Um, And so throughout this year we've talked a lot about the practical outworking of what that looks like, um, and what being in the body of Christ um, really means, and how we should conduct ourselves as such. And the challenge for all of us, um, as a collective, as a body, for the rest of our lives, is to be that physical representation of Christ here on earth until He returns. Um, and you know, that gets thrown out. That gets thrown out a, a lot. And sort of um, flippantly, you know, the church is the physical representation of Christ. But, like, take a moment to um, really absorb that idea. Because it's, it's one that is, um, it's, it's big. It's really important. And we shouldn't just throw it around, necessarily. We're supposed to be the representatives of Christ, the depiction of who Christ is. That's our job as a body, right? So appreciate that idea, appreciate what that means and what an honor it is, what a calling it is and what a task it is because it's a heck of a task, right? It shouldn't be taken lightly. Not a single one of us here, I would say, even you know, the older and the more wise of us, I don't think if they were being honest with themselves and they'd, I think they would be honest that they would be able to say like, yep, check, I'm, I'm good, I've, I've been that, you know, that doesn't happen until their time is over, right? We're, for our whole lives, we're working toward that end of being that physical representation of who Christ is and, and um, coming into that perfection that we already are as we were created. Um, and we don't, we don't achieve that on our own, right? Certainly not on our own, not by our own works and not by our own means and not by our own efforts and achievements, okay? To be like Christ in everything that we do isn't possible in isolation. It's just not. And it's not who God created us as. It's not what he set up for us. Genesis 1, you know, talks about the, the creation story. And he says, let us, let us make human beings in our own image. So from the get-go, from the beginning of time as we understand it, we have this depiction of relationship and of community in Genesis two, when once man was created, even that wasn't enough. Like, yes, we had God in our relationship with God, but man was given, what, woman, a helper, because he wasn't he wasn't meant to be on his own, and that's why. And God recognized that. Um, so again, we understand that from the beginning of time that we're created to be relational people and in, in community. Uh, understanding this point of. Relationship and understanding this point of unity, um, and the call for accountability in order to be in unity, right, um, has been our aim as as um, as the elders all year long. Um, we cannot measure up alone, and we don't have to, and that's amen. We don't have to, because we're together in that process and we're working towards that common goal of glorifying. God, of glorifying Christ in the way that we live. And we're held accountable to the family that he gives us once we accept Christ um, in our lives. And in that alone, there's, there's beauty. We're given everything necessary to accomplish the goal set before us, the seemingly impossible task of representing and depicting the only perfect created person ever. And that's why I say really take it in, like really take it in for what it means and what it is. Like our job, our role as the body of Christ, as the church is to be that representation and depiction of who he is and how it's that, thank God we have each other for that because alone it's a shadow of what it is supposed to be. And so as I said, we've we've gone through the last 11 months yeah, we're in December. It last 11 months, and I've tried to really dive into the different ways and practicalities of what it means to be called in a healthy body and how the interaction is supposed to be and what you should see, um, how a healthy community of people um, lives and, um, and works together um, so that we can be at our most effective um, as, as reflections of Christ. So, you know, January, February, and March, we went through things like patience and submission and encouragement. Um, And then sacrifice, that's a big one. That's a big one when you're understanding um, accountability. And conflict, there's another big one when it comes to accountability. Um, Leadership and discipline. And then you have to ask yourself the question that a body like that, how can that kind of body ever be what we are called to be as the church? How can a body like that ever be representative and depict all of who Christ is? It, it can't. It just can't. It would never be. It would not, could not. <laughs> as, as one body with, with many parts, it's, it's really important to understand our calling toward one another never allow this kind of atrophy to happen and to allow accountability to thrive within the church and promote it and accept it and we do this by understanding and practicing and and holding each other to the to the fire so to speak to all the different things that we've been talking about over the course of the last year and understanding patience and understanding what family looks like and the framework of family and understanding why discipline is important and not just important but it's good for us and we should welcome it all these things understanding collaboration and conflict and and all of these things we've been going over Um, it's important to hold each other to that fire so that we can be refined right but this is not this is not a popular character trait as we know I think Um, in the world the idea of accountability as a responsibility for a healthy relationship the idea of accountability as a responsibility for healthy living and relationship is pretty much never like accepted or favored i would say never favored for sure the world you know as we as we touch on and make make light of the world in their relationships would prefer to connect on the weather, or on video games, or on the day of the work week, right? TGIF, as James kept saying. Um, they would prefer to connect on um, their plans this weekend to get smashed, or whatever. I had a coworker who literally just told me that, like, and he was proud about it and happy about it. Um, and you see this even within your families, unfortunately, this level of interaction. And, you know, we're coming off the back of, of Thanksgiving, where we were at, you know, this family's house or that family's house, um, where that level of interaction is is begging to be entertained. This this wrong level of interaction is begging to be entertained. You know, did you see this movie? It's so great. You know, it's an Oscar winner, and then that's it. That's the relation. That's the level of interaction we have. Um, and I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't <laughs> have faith and hope in, in who you guys are as believers. But I would be willing to bet that you guys will have this kind of interaction at some point within the rest of the year, within the next month, because that's that's what the world is begging for. You know, surface level interaction and vapid conversation. Um, and it's something we struggle with, right? Because it's it's always just easier to do that. It's always just easier to dismiss someone or dismiss a conversation because I don't have the time for it or you know, whatever it is, it's not, the setting doesn't lend itself to the conversation. There you, can, you can come up with 100 different excuses for, for it. And I'm sure we have, I have, you know. I was guilty of it just during Thanksgiving. I'm guilty of what I'm talking about. You know, of, of that level of interaction um, with people on the basis of, of nothing rather than um, being invested and accountable to, um, to God, you know, and, and to those relationships. And it's, it, it's, even, it's even prevalent in the homes of, you know, those with the, the almighty popular Christian consensus, whatever that means, you know. You've heard that thrown around here at Aletheia before, you know. They have a Christian consensus, which means they're good people, they don't really know why what they, yeah, maybe there's God, I can't, yeah, Christ, yeah, because it's good for me and it, uh, you know, I'm saved because of it, but what does that actually mean to them? They have not the slightest clue, nor are they interested in in practicing it and learning about what it means, Right? It's even, this kind of interaction is even prevalent within those circles. Um, you know, people aren't, people don't favor accountability, you know? you don't tell me what I'm doing wrong or you don't even tell me what I'm doing right. <laughs> like people don't want that. People don't want encouragement and they don't want rebuke for a greater purpose because they have a pride issue, I'm guessing. And they don't even know what the greater purpose is to begin with. So when you're operating off of subjectivity, right? Rather than the obdu- objective truth of who God is, of course you don't want accountability. Like accountable to what, you know? <laughs> like. How could you hold me accountable to something? It's different than what you believe. So it's it's a multi-layered and multifaceted issue. But that's what the world is begging for: surface-level, weak relationships. But within the body of Christ, we are called absolutely to more than that. Um, Romans 15 says, "We who are strong, yeah, you see, in the mo- you see this model in Scripture." And so I'm going to read you guys some Scripture. Um, in Romans 15, we who are strong must be considerate, considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. Accountability. For even Christ didn't live, I, you know, I entered that, uh, inserted that. For even Christ didn't live to please himself, as the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Ephesians 4 says this. Therefore I, Paul, again speaking, it's going to be Paul for the next few, for the record, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Galatians 6 says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. yourself share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ, right? Christ himself talks about this in, in Matthew 18. Win your brother back. Accountability. 1 Corinthians 9, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ, but I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. And in Colossians 3, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Make allowance, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others above all. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. If you claim to be a disciple of Christ, then you claim you claim his body, you claim his church, and all that comes with that. And accountability is a huge part of that. Stop viewing accountability, these relationships, stop viewing them as an annoyance. And I know we all have, and again, I have. It's so annoying. I have these people that... <laughs> And it sounds, this is supposed to sound ridiculous, by the way. So if it does, then I've done my job. So annoying. I have these people who love me so much, and they care for me on such a meaningful way. They want to help me toward perfection in my eternal relationship with God. And so they they point these things out for me for my growth, not because they're trying to, you know, brag about where they are or lord something over me or whatever, but They care about me on such a deep foundational level that they are willing to um, put put themselves out there, right? It's not easy to be that person for someone because of fear of rejection or, you know, upsetting the, the relationship or whatever, right? But that's not who we're called to be. It's not easy to do that. And so stop viewing these kind of relationships as, annoying or exhausting or whatever it may be, you know? Stop saying that or stop thinking that because I know those thoughts are out there. Um, again, I've had them myself, um, especially men, you know? I think I talked about this in cell group maybe like a month ago, but men have a real pride issue, and when something is pointed out to them that is not consistent with the character of Christ, their response that they have to fight is <laughs> screw you man. Like that's their response, you know? We have a pride issue as men. And we have to fight that, you know? So stop stop do everything you can to fight that kind of response, you know, because you don't know what I've been through or whatever it is. Again, you can you can you can create a whole list of, of why men, you know, excuse that kind of behavior, but Really fight that and appreciate these relationships in our lives and what we have here for what it is and what it's set up to be. Stop viewing it as bad or annoying or exhausting because you don't have to walk the path alone. (laughs) Like, stop viewing it that way. Stop thinking about it that way. Um, I just quoted something out of Ephesians, and so I was reading Ephesians this morning. I pretty much read it all. Um, And, you know, Paul goes on to talk about um, marriage uh, and how, you know, the submission structure of a, of a marriage relationship and, you know, all these different things, the household basically, how it's how it's supposed to look. And so I was thinking about accountability and I was thinking about marriage and I was thinking about five years ago. I've been married to Brittany for five years, <laughs> I think. It was either five or six this year, whatever. <laughs> um, I was thinking about the process I was thinking about the process of when we were like um, trying to think about who we wanted to be in our wedding party, right? Because this was something that was impre- impressed upon me when I, when I started coming, and coming here, was that that unit of people in that wedding party that you surround yourself with should not be chosen flippantly, right? don't have your best man be your best man because you were good buddies in high school and you haven't talked in 15 years. But since you were good buddies in high school, I feel obligated to do it. Like no, that's not how That's not how you should view that. So I was thinking about the effort that I took in, in choosing those people and I'm batting three for five, in case you guys are wondering. I'm batting three for five. But I went out to dinner with these guys and I, had a conversation with them about I want, I would like you to be a part of this in this way and this is what it means to me and this is for life, you know? I'm choosing you to be in this role for life because we have the common ground of Christ. Right? I'm not choosing and that's that wasn't popular and for quite honestly, you know what I chose my best friends as from high school? They were ushers so they should have been honored to be ushers. <laughs> but they do not share the same, well, that's not fair to one of them, at least. Whatever, they don't share me now versus me 10 years ago. You know, they don't know who I am and they don't, they're not coming from the same same worldview and they're not, they don't know what this, that moment, this moment, whatever, speaking present tense, means to me. so I was thinking about how we should be choosing the people we surround ourselves with because we want that accountability. If mine and Brittany's marriage starts to go off the rails, you know, God forbid, I want you, Colin's one of them, Colin and Josh and John Parker, (laughs) I almost forgot him, to hold me accountable to what marriage should be and point out the things that are wrong, you know? I am asking you to do that. Like, I'm humbly asking that of you. Please, will you do that for me? That's the kind of attitude we should have when it comes to accountability, not just in our marriage, but with, with this, with this as a body, right? I was thinking about that. You guys should think about that too, like, especially those of you that aren't married and stuff. <laughs> but yeah. <sighs> Anyways, there's a real, there's a real like um, sinister, false truth that exists out there. That it's better to be alone and just be doing things alone or or at best me and this person versus the world right again that's that's wrong that's not who we're called to be Um, it's better to be isolated and and doing my own thing doing my own thing um, than being in relationship and held accountable to a greater worldview by a community of people that shares it with you Um, this sort of Individualism, they call it individualism for the record. Um, self-promotion and self-reliance. Um, it's, it's especially rampant in America, right? The idea of individualism is sort of defined as an ideology that advocates the promotion and the interests of this number one right here over other people, over a group or a collective. Um, yeah, and without interference from anybody, period. Uh, Yeah Nietzsche and Kierkegaard If you guys have ever heard of them These were forefathers in this sort of thinking And the outworking of, of individualism And individualism is Sort of what helped define the American dream I would say Pastor Monty can give you a better history lesson than I can I'm sure So please go to him after this If you want to learn about this But individualism sort of fuels that, right? And I'm not going to sit up here and bash my country because I don't hate my country. I love my country. And we live in a country that blessings abound, okay? <laughs> so don't get me wrong. But within American culture and within American thinking, we gave up something along the way in the pursuit of happiness, right? Um, and the, the promotion of this individualism, um, and we we forgot where the strength lies within the accountability and within the church and the body of Christ. And and true to form is people we want to swing fully one way or the other in our in our beliefs, you know, and, and our worldviews. You know, if you're not a Republican, then you're a Democrat, and we are against each other. If you're not black, then you'll never understand because you're white. If you're A man, then you'll never understand because woman. You know, all these different things. Individual versus collective. This type of thinking, this type of thinking leads the way toward what we are not, what we are called against. The opposite of what we're, that's the antithesis of who we're called to be Um, and being a body accountable to each other, responsible for each other. And it isolates us from adopting the healthy relationships that are set up for us, that are given to us, that help us in our walk, as I said in the beginning. Um, In our our common ground, Paul talks about common ground, in our common ground that is Christ, not selfish ambition and whatever entrepreneurial thing you're doing, or whatever. Um, Not to say that it's wholly bad, just saying as a worldview, okay? Um, Not worldviews themselves that are too small to hold water or shaky to carry weight. Not Things of the world that, in the end, don't even matter because they don't matter to God, you know? Like, that's not what's important. They fade away. Um, but Christ as the common ground. I want to share with you guys a couple different um, thoughts from, from people who are smar- s- far smarter than I am um, when it comes to this idea of individualism. So there's a guy, his name is Jay Gresham Marchin, Machin, Mackin. He was an early like Princeton, Princeton as the college uh, professor of like New Testament theology, um, and he has this to say uh, on on the idea of individualism versus um, the collective, and how we should be careful not to swing the pendulum. Okay, I'm going to read this. It's true that historic Christianity it, historic Christianity is in conflict at many points with the collectivism of the present day. It doesn't it does emphasize against the claims of society the worth of the individual soul. It provides for the individual a refuge from all the fu- fluctuating currents of human opinion, a secret place of meditation where a man can come alone into the presence of God. It does give a man courage to stand if need be against the world. It resolutely refutes to make Refuses to make of the individual a mere means to an end, a mere element in a composition of society. It rejects altogether any means of salvation which deals with man, men in a mass. It brings the individual face-to-face with his God. In that sense, it is true that Christianity is individualistic and not social, but but, it provides fully for the social needs of man. In the first place, even the communion of the individual man with God is not really individualistic, but social. A man is not isolated when he is in communion with God. He can be regarded as isolated only by one who has forgotten the real existence of the supreme person. Here again, as as at many other places, the line of cleavage between liberalism and Christianity really reduces to a profound difference in the conception of God. Christianity is earnestly theistic, Liberalism is at best, but half-heartedly so. If a man once comes to believe in a personal God, then the vow, then the worship of him will not be regarded as selfish isolation, but as the chief end of man. That does not mean, bear with me guys, I know this is a lot, that does not mean that on the Christian view of the worship of God is ever to be carried on to the neglect of service rendered to one's fellow men. He, he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen is not able to love God Whom he hath not seen. But it does mean that the worship of God has a value of his own. Very different is the prevailing doctrine of modern liberalism. According to practice, if not in theory, God exists for the sake of man. But the social element in Christianity is found not only in communion between man and God, but also in communion between man and man. Such communion appears even in institutions which are not specifically Christian. a lot, make a drink. (laughs) How many of you guys have read Mere Christianity or are reading it? You, it's a good book, it's in our library, right? You should check it out. In simpler words, here's what C.S. Lewis has to say about this same concept. (coughs) The idea that the whole human race is in a sense one thing, one huge organism like a tree must not be confused with the idea that individual differences do not matter of that real, or that real people, Tom and Nobby and Kate, (laughs) are somehow less important than collective things like classes, races, and so forth. Indeed, the two ideas are opposite. Things which are part of a single organism may be very different from one another. Things which are not may be very alike. Six pennies are quite separate and very alike. My nose and my lungs are very different, but they are only alive at all because they are parts of my body and share its common life. Christianity thinks of human individuals not as mere members of a group or items in a list, but as organs in a body, different from one another and each contributing what no other could. When you find yourself wanting to turn your children or pupils or even your neighbors into people exactly like yourself, remember that God probably never meant them to be that. You and they are different organs, intended to do different things. On the other hand, when you are tempted not to bother about someone else's troubles because they are no business of yours, remember that though he is different from you, he is part of the same organism as you. If you forget that he belongs to the same organism as yourself, you will become an individualist. If you forget that he is a different organ from you, if you want to suppress differences and make people all alike, you will become a totalitarian. But a Christian must not be either a totalitarian or an individualist. I feel a strong desire to tell you, and I expect you feel a strong desire to tell me, which of these two errors is worse. That that is the devil getting at us. He always sends errors into the world in pairs, pairs of opposites. And he always encourages us to spend a lot of time thinking which is the worst. You see why, of course. He relies, I'm almost done. He relies on your extra dislike of the one error to draw you gradually into the opposite one, but do not let do not let us be fooled. We have to keep our eyes on the goal and go straight through between both errors. We have no other concern than these. Do not swing the pendulum on one versus the other, guys, and, and don't be don't be brainwashed and um, into this into thinking that this individualism is is what's good and right. Specifically. As believers, we understand that we are created by God and for God, okay? Isaiah says this, we're created for God's glory, chapter 47, um, and not for ourselves, not for our own ambition and own, own means to an end. And we are adopted, as I said in the beginning, we are adopted into the family that holds us accountable so that in our lives, that glory that we were created to do, to be, that glory is perfected and can be realized. I'm going to read this from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, uh, 7 through 12. I observed yet another example, this is Solomon, in case you don't know, another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, Who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken, and so on, right? Proverbs 27 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. This idea of accountability is for our benefit, and we should appreciate that and use it as much as we can at every opportunity we can, instead of, being annoyed at it and wanting to disregard it and, wha- and being exhausted by it and just can't even and uh, and all these things, okay? It's for our benefit. It's who God created us to be. It's who he is when he created us. It's beautiful, okay? It's beautiful. I have some questions for you guys. With that said, I'm gonna ask them and they are for the thread, okay? We're gonna do communion now but I want to ask these questions and I encourage you guys to reflect um, over the next week on, on these things and, and really over the last year. How has your perception of accountability changed over the course of the last year and how are you I'll share this with Colin and yeah later how are you convicted to, being, to doing more for the body of Christ and the relationships that you have and that you are given in it what level of accountability have you given for the benefit of strengthening others in their maturity and investment in uh, their eternal relationship with God? What level of accountability, of accountability have you given? And what level have you received? How have you, or how are you, putting yourself in isolation with the way that you have treated the church's role in your life? What are you going to do to improve this aspect of yourself. These are the things you guys should talk about this week, but please line up because we're going to do communion.